So the book of Philemon, we'll pick it up there tonight. Um, before we do that, just a, an encouragement, I think, for you guys, plus a, uh, just a, a reminder. Uh, we had four new families uh, in the church on Sunday, and um, I know you guys are already doing this, but just, again, a reminder there are Christians out there that's looking for a church where they can go deeper, where they can grow, where they can be challenged, where they can be stretched. And as you're having conversations, as you're interacting with people, just keep that in mind. A lot of these folks uh, end up coming here either through the website, through the podcast, but a lot of times they're here because they've been invited by you guys. And so... Uh, we appreciate that very, very much. And it's just exciting to, to get to talk to some of these new folks um, and just to see some of the new folks who are coming. So, Book of Philemon, we're just going to be in this tonight. Then we're going to jump to another small one-chapter book next Tuesday, the book of Second John. And then we'll spend a couple weeks there. And then we'll go to the book of Third John and spend a couple weeks there. And then we're going to be starting a new series come September. Um... Philemon. Let me just quickly review what this letter is about. First of all, it's one of the personal letters in the Bible. Uh, Paul is writing a personal letter to a friend named Philemon. The reason he's writing this letter to Philemon is because somewhere earlier, Philemon, who was a very wealthy landowner, who owned quite a probably large estate and therefore had several servants that would help him manage that estate. One of his servants, named Onesimus, ran away. And as he ran away, he uh, probably took some property of Philemon's that was not his. In the providence of God, Philemon, or excuse me, Onesimus, meets up with Paul while Paul is in prison in Rome. And through this encounter with the Apostle Paul, Paul was always looking for opportunities to share the gospel with people. Onesimus became a Christian. And he and Paul had this instantaneous, intimate bond that only got stronger in a very short amount of time. Paul then is moved to write this letter to Philemon back in Colossae for a couple of reasons. One, he wants to let Philemon know what's been happening, what happened to Onesimus. He wants Philemon to consider, obviously, forgiving Onesimus for what he did. He wants to encourage Philemon to give Onesimus a second chance. In fact, I believe that he wants Philemon to receive Onesimus back into his household, but not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And he bases this appeal upon the character of Philemon. In a sense, he knows from his past dealings with Philemon that Philemon is somebody that can be relied upon, can be depended upon. In fact, 
Paul tells Philemon, Onesimus has grown to be that as well. I can depend and rely on him. So before we dive into the specifics tonight, one of the overarching themes, if you will, that God really impressed upon me was the fact that in this letter, one of the reasons why Paul's able to write to Philemon And one of the reasons why he's able to write to him in the way he does about Onesimus is because all three of these men, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus, were men who grew to be individuals that God could rely and depend upon and therefore others could rely and depend upon. And I think that's what God wants all of us to become. Obviously, we need to grow in our faithfulness so that God counts us as reliable and dependable for him. That in a sense, we're somebody that God can count on. And in turn, when we get to that place, then obviously we know that other human beings, if God can rely upon us and depend upon us and can count on us, then we know other human beings can as well. Especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the whole reason why Paul is able to write this letter to Philemon and ask him these things as well. So notice in verse 12, we pick it up here, sort of setting the scene here, as as Philemon is reading this letter, I believe that Philemon and Onesimus are standing in the same space. We learn in in the book of Colossians that Onesimus and a man by the name of Tychicus was sent by Paul from Rome back to Colossae literally to hand, personally hand, this letter of Philemon to Philemon. So think about this. As Philemon is reading this letter from the Apostle Paul, I believe Onesimus is standing right there. And so Paul writes in verse 12, I have sent him who is my very heart, back to you. Building upon what we talked and learned about last week in the first 11 verses, one of the things that we immediately see here again is the strong affections, the deep feelings that Paul had for Onesimus. In fact, one of the things that just, to me, jumps off the pages of the New Testament, at least the letters that Paul writes is just how strong of feelings, how deep his feelings are for his brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, there's there's no guessing game as to how Paul feels about other Christians. How precious they are to him. How much he cherishes them. And very often in his letters, he makes sure without any, you know, vagueness at all about that. And here again, you have another example of that. When Paul says to Philemon, Onesimus is my very heart, in the Greek language, deep feelings and strong affections. In fact, in the Greek language, literally, it means bowels and intestines. I've told you that before. It literally means bowels and intestines. In other words, it was a way that the Greeks tried to describe that when someone has impacted my life, obviously it affects the GI tract. You know, it it, it hits us there. 
we're, we're moved. You know, we're not feelingless. We're not unmoved by relationships. They hit us right here in the gut, if you will. And Paul is saying to Philemon, Philemon, I want you to know just how much I care about this man. And I think that went a long way even to go, wow, okay, if Paul feels that way about him, I probably should too. He said, I wanted to keep him so that he could serve me in your place during my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. In other words, Paul's saying, you know, he was so valuable to me that that if I looked at things just as how it affected me, I would have loved to have kept him. He was just unbelievable to me in prison. And, And Paul even says, in a sense, he was serving in your place because obviously, Philemon, you couldn't physically be there. He was physically there. He was able to supply the ministry that if you could have been there, you would have been supplying to me as well. In fact, I think what Paul is saying is, Philemon, even if you were here, you wouldn't have served me any better than what Onesimus did. Also, though, very interesting, I wanted to point this out because I think it's important that the words keep him in the Greek also mean to hold back and hinder. And we also have to look at it from the idea, too, that we need to be careful as Christians that what we desire for others might not ultimately be hindering them or holding them back from what God wants for their life. I think we all need to be cognizant and aware of that. Um, over the years in ministry, people have told me stories, personal testimony about how they would maybe even be in ministry or be on the mission field or be more involved spiritually or something, but somebody held them back. Instead of encouraging them, somebody was discouraging them. Now, I'm not saying they weren't personally responsible. But I think that's important enough to touch on that as well. May we never, by the words that we say and and our actions, put up, in a sense, a stumbling block to people to go further in their walk with God and and to, to minister and serve in greater ways. And then I love the fact that Paul reminds us that he was in prison, verse 13, for the sake of the gospel. What we have here is a reminder of Paul's focus and commitment. He was in prison for the sake of the gospel. His, one of the things that made Paul just so set apart and so unique was he had that ability to be able to keep his focus and his commitment almost on a daily basis to where he didn't get distracted like so many of us do. And it's a real just challenge to me, encouragement to me, exhortation to me, to live focused, to live with that kind of commitment. Not focused on what the ramifications or consequences of that commitment is, because like with Paul... It could be prison. But Paul was never focused on, if you will, the outcome of his commitment. All he was focused on was, this is what I live for. 
This is what I'm all about. I'm all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I live for. That's what I'll die for. That's how rock solid his focus and commitment is. In fact, I think just for a moment, I want to go back to this whole concept of discipleship that the New Testament talks about. Because if I could share with you just quickly a little bit of a side here. I see three things about being a disciple of Christ. When Jesus says in the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples, the Greek word that's used there is a word that means a disciple of one. In other words, focus. I can't be a disciple of more than one. Jesus calls us to be his disciple. Even in his own language. If you want to be my disciple. That's why even John the Baptist, when he had followers or disciples of his, it got to a certain point where John said, now you need to go follow him. Because I'm not the guy that you should be following. I prepared the way, but he's the Lamb of God. He's the Messiah. You follow him. Jesus even said, a man cannot serve two masters. So in the concept of discipleship, there is the idea that we can really only be a disciple of one. Who are we going to be a disciple of? And obviously, Jesus calls us to be a disciple of his focus. Secondly, the next word that's used in the New Testament for being a disciple is a word that talks about being a learner, a student, someone who's teachable and who is gaining instruction. And so there's also that aspect as well of being a disciple. Learning. Being taught. That's what being a disciple is all about. Being a student of the word. Focus, learning, finally, commitment. Because in that passage where Jesus gives us the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples, then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And remember, baptism is immersion. It is total immersion. And I don't think it's any accident that as Jesus in the context is talking about being a disciple, he also talks about baptism because especially in early times when people were baptized and totally immersed under the water, it was also a sign and symbol not only of what took place internally, but it was also a sign and symbol of their commitment, public commitment to Christ and that they were all in, they were totally committed. If you're going to be publicly baptized and you're going to be immersed, there's a level of commitment there. Which is why Jesus even would say to his disciples, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to be willing to take up your cross daily and follow me. That's the level of commitment that Jesus calls disciples to. So anyway... You can certainly see that kind of level of commitment and focus in Paul's life. Something we talked about Sunday in the book of Jude, something we'll continue to talk about in the weeks to come. Verse 14, however, without your consent, I did not want to do anything. The word consent means to know one's thoughts, view, or opinion. Paul was not going to do something without really being able to know what Philemon thought about it first. He cared about what his thoughts and opinion was. So that he goes on to say, your good deed would not be out of compulsion, but from your own willingness. Big principle here in Philemon as well, 
is that the reason Paul handled it this way, because we talked about this last week, even though he could have sort of used his authority as an apostle and used and leveraged even his relationship with Philemon to put a little bit more pressure. The word here, compulsion, means out of duty, necessity, being pressured, being manipulated. And Paul said, I did not want what you were going to do in regards to Onesimus to be out of being pressured to do it. Out of feeling like you had a duty or compulsion or being manipulated to do it. That's not what this is about. I wanted you to do the right thing by Onesimus because it's what you wanted to do. It was out of your own willingness. It was unforced. It was voluntary. That's what God's looking for in all of our lives. That's why he did not make us robots. That's why we have free will. Because God is looking for followers who will love him and live for him and be committed to him and serve him and all of this because they want to. It's truly what they want, not because they feel it's their duty or I'm expected to do this or I'm being pressured to do this. God wants us to do it totally out of a willing heart. And Paul said, that's what I want from you, Philemon, so that's why I'm going to deal with this the way I'm dealing with it. For perhaps, verse 15, Paul now is opening up the idea of the providence of God. He's not sure, so notice he doesn't say, I'm sure it's this way. So we as Christians have to be very careful about being sure that something turned out the way it did because that's the way God... Even Paul said, it could be, but I'm not going to play the I'm sure this was God's will for this to work out this way card. He said, perhaps. It was for this reason that he was separated from you for a little while so that you would have him back eternally. Notice the words for this reason means the channel or means of an act. In other words, through. Paul is saying maybe it was through him running away and then ending up in Rome with me me being able to have the opportunity to lead him to the gospel, maybe it was through all of this, in a sense, bad stuff that happened as he ran away and stole and all this from you. But that's what got him to this point where he was able to turn his life around and come back. Paul says, did you ever think about that, Philemon? And we all think about that as Christians. That's what Romans 8.28 is all about. That God can even take bad things and somehow he can turn them into something profitable. Something good. And in a sense, that's what Paul is saying here to Philemon. But notice also, Paul is contrasting the temporary with the lasting. Notice the contrast in verse 15 between the words a little while and eternally. In other words, Paul is giving us this principle. Temporary losses may result in lasting rewards. Paul is saying, you may have lost this relationship, you may have even lost something materially or physically for a while, but look at what you're getting back eternally because of this. 
And God always wants us to live our lives, obviously, being willing to forego the temporary for the eternal. That's the way we should always look at things. In other words, you may in your life right now be having to give up in some way, sacrifice something short-term in order to get long-term gain, eternal, something eternal. That's, that's what the Christian life is all about. Because God says, it's not about living for the moment. It's not about living for this life and on this earth. It's about looking long-term. And so Paul is again reminding Philemon of this great principle. Sometimes you and I do have to sacrifice and maybe give up something, but we never give up more than we always get back from God. Because when God returns something to us and blesses us the way He did here, it's something that lasts for eternity, not something that lasts short term. The devil is sort of the opposite. He promises something long term happiness and it ends up only being short term. That's why the Bible says that we can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. (laughs) But then after that season's over, it's gone. There's nothing lasting about what the world or the devil or even our own flesh promises us. But with God, it's different. Then notice in verse 16, he says, No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dear brother. I touched on this a little bit last week. Because a lot of people question, why is there not some place in the New Testament that just out and out tried to stir up social reform against slavery? Because in God's mind, the better way to deal with changing the whole system of slavery was to change people's hearts. In fact, the teaching of the New Testament actually undermined the value that made slavery acceptable. The value that makes slavery acceptable is that the people who are my slaves are not really human. It dehumanizes human beings. It devalues them. They don't have any worth. They're just objects. Well, when the New Testament teaching came along, it raised the value and worth of every human being. So that the Bible taught, even from the Old Testament, that every human being is created in the image of God. Every human being is important. Every human being is of value. There are no such thing as a human being who's just an object. So if people really did buy into the teaching of the Bible, and especially the New Testament, the whole value system that propped up the system of slavery would be undermined. And that's exactly what Paul was doing here. He's also telling us that spiritual status transcends social distinctions. He says... You should not look at Onesimus anymore as a slave. More than a slave. You should look, treat, receive, act towards Onesimus as a dear brother in Christ. He goes on to say, He is especially so to me, and even more so to you now, both humanly speaking and in the Lord. See, Paul wanted Philemon to appreciate Onesimus' true value. That would change how he looked at Onesimus. And can I just say, I think one of the challenges here for all of us is to make sure that we never undervalue each other. 
underappreciate each other. Because even though we might not have slaves, there are definitely times throughout our life, if we're honest, where we undervalue other human beings. Where we underappreciate other human beings. And Paul, I think, by the language that he's using here, is saying, be careful. Philemon, don't do that, especially here with what's happened with Onesimus. Therefore, verse 17, if you regard me as a partner, if you consider me to be a partner with you in ministry, by the way, the word partner means to share and sacrifice. That's what really ministry partners are. People who come together and share in the sacrifice of living for Christ and of ministry. And certainly we've seen that already with Paul being in prison for the gospel of Christ. Do you have other Christian believers that you share in the sacrifice of living for Christ and ministry with them? That's important that we do. Then he says, very powerfully, verse 17, accept him as you would me. Wow. The word accept here means to receive, to take by the hand, literally to grant access to one's heart. Paul's even saying, it's not enough, Philemon, from my perspective, biblically. If we're going to be like Christ here, it's not enough for you just to allow him back into your home. It's not enough just to welcome him and put your arms around and say, hey, I want you to open up your heart to him, not you just your home to him. I, I want you to really receive him as you would me. You've opened up your heart to me. Open up your heart to him as well. You know you can depend upon me. You know you can rely upon me. You know you can trust me. You can trust him too. Open up your heart. Now think about that. This guy used to be one of Philemon's slaves. A slave that stole, but now that he's met Christ, his life has totally been transformed. He's a changed man, as we all are when we come to Christ. And now everything is beginning to look different in his life. And now Paul's writing this because he wants Philemon to begin to treat Onesimus the way a brother in Christ should be treated. Now, if he has defrauded you, verse 18, wronged you, hurt you, damaged you, harmed you, is what the word means, in anything, or owes you anything, if he's in debt for something, charge what he owes to me. Wow. Christ-like, isn't it? Isn't that what Christ did? Christ took what we owed that we could not pay, and Christ basically said, I'll pay it for him. It's a beautiful picture. That's exactly what Paul is saying. The word charge here means to put or place on one's account. Paul's saying, look, he owes you something, I'm paying it. I'm taking his debt so that he no longer owes you anything. I owe you. Something God reminded me of here as I studied this is that grace gives as grace receives. 
Paul obviously had received the grace of God in his own life. And because he was such a recipient of God's grace, he was throughout the rest of his life so willing to give that grace to others. Not because they deserved it, but it was grace. If God had forgiven Saul, Paul, all of his debt, then I can imagine Paul felt like, who am I to not extend grace to others who may be in debt as well? What a picture. And then in verse 19, he says, I, Paul, have written this letter with my own hand. I will repay it. It's almost like the reason he says that is like a promissory note. This is more than just a letter. Paul is saying to Philemon, by signing this letter and writing this letter, I guarantee to pay you whatever he owes you for what he's done. By the way, very interestingly, the word repay in the Greek doesn't just mean to pay off. It means to pay a penalty. It means to suffer punishment. Again, you have here a picture of Jesus Christ. Paul is being very Christ-like here. He's willing to personally suffer to get Onesimus off the hook, in a sense, with Philemon. That's what he's doing here. Because again, he's so powerfully experienced Jesus doing the same thing for him to even a greater degree. Paul knew, well, I take that back. Paul didn't know really what his debt was completely, and none of us really know what our debt to God is completely. We just don't. But we know it's big. And we know that Jesus, who didn't deserve to pay the penalty for what we've done, took it on himself. And so again, what what a Christ-like thing to do here. So in verse 20, or so he says, I will repay it. I could also mention that you owe me your very self. In other words, I think Paul's reminding him that Philemon probably came to faith in Christ through Paul's witness as well. So notice in verse 20, I want to point this out. Again, you don't get this in the English, but in the Greek language, the word me and the word my is emphasized. So let me read it that way. Paul is saying in verse 20, Yes, brother, let me have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Why is Paul saying that? Because throughout this letter, Paul says, back in the earlier verses, Philemon, you have a testimony about you. Do you know what people say about you, Philemon? You are so refreshing. Man, you encourage the hearts of the saints, brother. That's what people say about you. So Paul is saying, so if you're willing to do that for all these other Christians then just be who you are to everybody else. Just be that to me. Be that to me. By the way, in verse 20, the word benefit is a play on words. Remember, Onesimus' name means useful or profitable. And back last week, we talked about the fact that in verse 11, he says, hey, he, well, he wasn't profitable or, you know, uh, beneficial to you, but now he is. Well, the word benefit here in verse 20 means to be useful, profitable. So he says, let me 
have some benefit, usefulness, profitableness from you. In other words, Onesimus is now useful. You keep being useful too. Refresh my heart in Christ. Let me again remind you what the word refresh means. It was a military term used of an army at rest. It meant to permit one to recover and collect strength, to give rest, to revive. It was a ministry that Philemon had in his life. It's a ministry that all of us as Christians should have. It's a ministry that I want us as a church, the Oasis, to be known for. What a great testimony for a church named the Oasis to be a place of refreshment. But notice something very important. Two very important words at the end of verse 20. In Christ. That's the sphere of our ministry. That's how we do what we do as Christians. We can't do it apart from Christ. You and I can't encourage, revive, give rest, refresh anyone apart from Christ. We've got to stay in fellowship with Christ. And as we do that then we will have the attitude and we will have the ability and we will have the strength and everything we need to be a refreshment to others. But only in Christ. Verse 21. Here's what I want to get to tonight. Since I was confident that you would obey. Paul believed in Philemon. Isn't it Doesn't it make you feel good when people believe in you? When they think that they can rely and depend upon you? Doesn't that make you feel good? That's the way we as Christians should live. That's the way we should be. We should be a community of people that we know that we can depend and rely and count on each other. And I believe, I believe this with all my heart throughout my ministry. That Christians are just waiting for the most part to rise to the occasion. To be challenged. But to to believe that, that this is who we are. Let's, Let's go there. Instead of expectations being low... When expectations are raised, I think for the most part, people try to rise to that and meet those expectations. And that's exactly what was happening here. I was confident that you would obey. Wow! That's powerful. I also want to point this out, though. Paul isn't saying to Philemon, I'm confident that you're going to obey me. The word obey here doesn't mean to obey Paul. It means to listen, comply, submit to the will of God. In other words, Paul is confident that if Philemon thinks about this, meditates on this, prays about this, that he will know that the way he should treat Onesimus, that this is the will of God. That that Paul is sharing with Philemon what God would want in this matter and he's just confident that if Philemon just continues to follow what the Lord wants he'll come to the same conclusion therefore he says I wrote to you notice now because I knew that you would do even more than what I'm asking you to do beyond over and above so here again is this man 
If you got a letter or an email or something like this from another Christian, I don't know about you, but it would make me feel good. That somebody believes in me that much, that would make me want to do whatever they're asking me to do. Because they're putting such confidence. They, they believe in me. They're, they're relying on me. They're depending upon me. They're counting upon me. That's exactly what's happening here. It's the kind of life that God wants us to rise to so that He can rely, count, and depend upon us. And so then others can rely, count, and depend upon us. And yet we know. We know we live in a world where part of our struggle is we find it maybe very difficult to find people that we can truly count on that we can truly rely on, that we can truly depend on because we've been burned. We trusted people. And then somewhere down the road, we realized they weren't trustworthy. They, they weren't reliable. They weren't dependable. But this is what God wants us to rise to. Then he goes in verse 22 as we wrap this up tonight and says, At the same time also prepare a place, literally a lodging, a guest room for me to stay. For I hope that through your prayers, prayers being plural, your prayers, I believe he's talking not just about Philemon and his family's prayers. I think going back to the earlier part of the letter, it's the church's corporate prayers that met in Philemon's home. They were praying And it shows us the power of intercessory corporate prayer. I will be given back to you, literally released. And then as we began the book, as I said last week, where Paul in the first two verses mentioned five individuals because he was all about being part of a team, here he ends this letter with five names, five of his companions in ministry. Paul is interested in companionship in ministry. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-laborers, greet you too. We all need companions in ministry. People that we walk the Christian road with people that we minister with, people that we serve with. I'm going to get a little ahead of myself because I said I was going to save this for five weeks down the road and I'm not going to give it all here tonight, but you guys are going to get a little bit of it. I said at the end of this five-week series in Jude, I was going to share with you a way of guaranteed growth as a Christian. Here's, Here's one aspect of that. You've got to serve in some way with others. You've got to. It is a biblical principle. The only way that we flesh out a lot of what we are learning as disciples is to serve. And not to serve by ourselves, but to learn to serve with others. To guarantee for growth. Are we serving in some way? And are we serving with at least somebody else? As we close tonight, 
I want to direct your attention to two names that Paul mentions in verse 24. Mark and Demas. For this reason, they are great examples, if you will, for this reason. Mark started out bad in his Christian life. He was the guy, remember, that Paul and Barnabas basically split over because Paul did not want to take him any longer on missionary journeys, and Barnabas did. And so Barnabas took Mark, and he took off. Mark didn't start off very well, but Mark finished well. Demas started off. Let me say this again. Mark didn't start off well, finished well. Demas started off well, didn't finish well. Second Timothy, we learn that Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So two opposites. Mark didn't start well, but finished well. Demas started well, didn't finish well. And it reminds me of something that I try to encourage other Christians with is that it's not as important how we start the Christian race and the Christian life as it is how we finish it. A lot of us may not have gotten off to a great start, but if our heart's still beating and we're still breathing, we've got a great chance to finish well. To be more like Mark than like Demas. And how do we do that? One way, the end of verse, uh, the last verse, verse 25, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. One of the ways we can guarantee that we will finish well is by living by the grace of God. Because the grace of God sustains us. It is the sustaining grace of God. It's what keeps us going. It's what keeps us persevering and enduring and not giving up and finishing strong and finishing well to be more like Mark than like Demas. What a great little letter in the New Testament. And yet in these 25 verses, so much and a lot of stuff that we didn't even get to in two weeks. So I hope maybe you'll go home and Every once in a while, go back and just read this letter and hopefully be as encouraged and yet as challenged by reading this letter as I've been in these last couple of months and leading up to this study. Mainly, tonight, I know for me, I want to live a life for God that, I, that God can depend upon me, God can rely upon me, God can count on me so that others can rely and depend and count on me as well. Certainly we see that in the relationship that Paul had with Onesimus and then had with Philemon. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for this little letter in the New Testament. A letter, Lord, many times just because it's so small, it gets neglected. We pass over the smaller letters for something big. And yet, Lord, in these small letters, there's such powerful principles. And God, I pray tonight that we would would personally just dive in and meditate and think about the message of Philemon. 
this personal one-on-one interaction that the Apostle Paul had with a dear friend named Philemon. That we would be encouraged by the great life transformation of this slave, Onesimus. And hold out hope, Lord, for the change that can come in our own lives and the change that can come in our friends' and families' lives who maybe haven't come to Christ yet or who are Christians, but their life isn't where it used to be. And God, show us through this letter even how to interact with each other. It's so cool to see the confidence that Paul had in Philemon. Oh, that we would be the the kind of people and have such character and integrity that, that people could have that kind of confidence in us as well. Help us, Lord, to continue to allow You to stretch us and grow us and take us deeper into our relationship with You. Once again, so that individually and as a church family, we can be a lighthouse in this community, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, have